Hello and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regulars out there who consistently listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Now, if you're a first-time listener, let me briefly tell you what we do here at the Cinema Judge. We love movies. We like to share movies with you. We're not here to criticize actors, Hollywood, anything like that. We leave that to the professionals. There's so much noise out there. Consider this a movie oasis. A place to get away from all the noise and just listen about one movie. We provide you with interviews, clips, and then we present it to you, the jury, and you make up your own mind. That's what it's all about here. Because the way I see it is this. Any movie is somebody's favorite movie. Because we all want to spend our hard-earned money wisely. Because we all want the same thing. An enjoyable movie experience. Now, speaking of movie experience, we have one for you today. Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz. They all star in Renfield. Now, here's a brief synopsis of Renfield. Renfield, Dracula's henchman, an inmate at the lunatic asylum for decades, longs for a life away from the Count, his various demands, and all of the bloodshed that comes with them. So here's a trailer for Renfield. Mr. Renfield, welcome. I am Dracula. You will make a very good assistant. No! He's evil. We will protect you. You have the word of the most trusted institution on Earth, the Catholic Church. Renfield, your sole purpose in life is to serve me. Now, let's eat. I just want a normal life again. God bless you, Mr. Renfield. Oh, God bless you, nuns. You're a hero. Robert Montague Renfield. Let me explain. I work for Dracula. Count Dracula? It's the real Dracula! Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. So you bring in people to eat? Well, I do other stuff. Like what? Wash his cape? No. The cape is dry clean only. Strictly. Yeah, I will wear this. This fly, yeah. I don't think he's such a bad guy, but you're never really going to be free until you face him. I will no longer tolerate abuse. <laughs> I deserve happiness. Please, explain something to you. Okay? You deserve only suffering. I will unleash an army of death. Everyone you care about will suffer because you betrayed me. We have to stop him before sunset. And someone's like, it's okay, I've seen way worse. Everything I saw you do today is gonna be my way worse. It's my least favorite part of the job. Now that was a trailer for Renfield. 
Now, coming up next, we have a featurette. Now, in this featurette, let me briefly explain you what this is. The studios, they send us sometimes these pre-packaged mini-commercials. In these commercials, it's kind of like something that they go, we're going to pick this topic to talk about, and et cetera, et cetera. This one up next is primarily just about the story and just the, what it's all about. So in this little featurette, you're going to hear little clips of interviews, little spots. And while those are happening, movie clips are playing in the background, on-set footage is being shown. And at the end of this show, if you want to watch these interviews and clips and all these things that we have here, I'll give you a website so you could watch this. This little feature at this talks about the story. My first initial reaction when I read this was, this is brave. This is original. This is unique. I need to get out of a toxic relationship. You have the most narcissistic boss imaginable, who is also a powerful, blood-sucking vampire. Hello, Randall. Marvelous attire. The codependency is toxic, but there's a level of love there. Care-feeding. You're like the guy that gets the villain's postmates. Is it yummy? Yeah. Horror and action and comedy all existing in one movie. We are punching heads off. Blood, car chases. Fireworks. And then you get me looking like this, being an absolute maniac. People love horror, but what's going to really pull them into this is the humor. And as they're laughing... You can hit that bullseye of comedy and horror. You've got something quite special, quite delicious. Now, as you could tell, that just pretty much sums up the tone. After you listen to that little featurette, you know what you're getting into. There's going to be action, there's going to be comedy, and there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. But Nicolas Cage, what can't this guy do? This is how I look at Nicolas Cage. He's fearless. He will do any film. He'll, he'll completely throw himself into a project unconditionally. And that's what makes him truly amazing. He just, be, just so much enthusiasm goes into his roles. Look at everything he does. He's not shy. He's not bashful about taking risks. And that's what's cool. Because so many other people out there in the world, and me included, just in life in general, you live in fear. Oh, I shouldn't do this. Oh, I'm too chicken. And I can see how actors always might be afraid to take on different roles. They're like, well, I have this image to protect. You know, I'm, I make these kind of movies, whatever. Nicolas Cage, he takes it, sinks his teeth into it, and just devours every role he's in. That's why for me, I just, I admire his work and everything that he does. It's truly amazing. He's just fearless. Now, to talk a little bit more about the story, we're going to hear from the producing duo, Sean First and Brian First. And then we're going to hear from Nicholas Holt. And then, after that, the great Nicolas Cage talks about the story also. Renfield is the story of a man who a hundred years ago took on a job, made a commitment to his boss to do something um, different, uh, but for very personal, selfish, ego-driven reasons. And we meet this same guy a hundred years later, uh, still doing that same job, except that job is to collect bodies for his boss to eat, his boss being Dracula. And uh, when we meet him, he's at a 
really low place in his life and wants to break up with his boss. But how do you break up with Dracula? The story of Renfield uh, is about a guy named Renfield who has a toxic relationship with a really terrible boss. Uh, but his terrible boss is a little more terrible than most because he happens to be Dracula. Um, and the story follows Renfield as, you know, he's inspired by a new relationship in his life to take control of his life, take his power back, and try to find his own identity again. And in so doing, because it is Dracula, he might end up saving the world at the same time. You have the most narcissistic boss imaginable who is also a powerful, blood-sucking vampire, um, and how you manage to get out of that relationship um, and survive would be, I, I think, the pitch, but told in a comedic, heartfelt, absurd, strange way. What's happening is that Dracula has been horribly disfigured by an attack from the uh, the uh, the church in the beginning of the movie, and uh, he's sort of through the power of drinking blood, pure blood, hopefully, um, he's being rejuvenated and coming back to his, uh, his complete supernatural self. But it's a, a long and arduous and hideous process, starting with the most uh, grotesque and then slowly grooving back into when we see the character at the end with um, Rebecca. Even just hearing those interviews, he just talks just so passionately about the role. And I just totally dig that. Now, I don't know about you guys, but me being a movie geek, nerd, whatever you want to call us kind of people, I love hearing about the history of a character, the development of a character, and everything that goes on involved with that. Because there's so many details that people take, like every every time Dracula's made, you take inspiration from all the classics down history, and there's a lot. And so coming up next, we're going to hear from the director, Chris McKay, and producer, Robert Kirkman. And you'll hear them talk about this, about Nicolas Cage finding and picking and choosing different aspects of legendary other performances of Dracula. And I just for me, I just eat this stuff up. And then we're going to hear from producer David Alpert. And they talk too about the screen test, uh, even what he put into that. Because a lot of times when you do the screen test or you just get stuff ready, you just kind of walk through it and say blah, blah, blah. Not Nicolas Cage. He comes in full costume, fully just, en just engulfing the character. And I love these kind of interviews. So that's what comes up next. He's got, you know, I mean, he's uh, he's an incredible cinephile. Uh, he loves movies. He loves Dracula. He loves horror movies. Um, he, you know, it, as we were talking about what, what Dracula should look like just in general, you know, for me, I wanted to synthesize stuff, whether it was the Bela Lugosi, the Christopher Lee. Uh, I wanted, you know. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, you know. Uh, I, I, and, and from the book, from the Stoker novel, I wanted you know elements of that. So that's why you have a top hat in one scene. You have a cane. That's from the Stoker novel. The, the teeth. I wanted to kind of uh, mimic the uh, Lon Chaney Senior London After Midnight, all sharp teeth, uh, using Bela Lugosi's outfit and and Christopher Lee's uh, when when Dracula gets bloodlust. We use those contact lenses that Christopher Lee had in the Hammer movies when he gets you know when he gets blood you know the bloodlust. So. It was part of it was just synthesizing stuff. 
when Cage uh, came in, um, you know, we had to sort of describe Dracula as like a rock and roll Dracula. We wanted it to kind of be really flashy and big. So, you know, Cage came in and the rings, that's where, that's where we got the rings and the fur and all of the, you know, kind of really, you know, soft and, and tactile textures and that sort of thing in the costume. So that, that was, yeah. It was a lot I, of- I just want to say I was absolutely essential to this process because I would go, that looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were doing camera tests yeah. and uh, Chris had set up this amazing, like, set and, you know, they were smoking the area and I had never really seen a director, like, go hard on camera tests like this. And Cage walked in and it was like, dark and creepy and there were candelabras everywhere and he was in costume and it was it was like it just transports you and uh just the way he he walks the way he turns his head like everything was quintessential dracula it was uh, phenomenal and i don't know if you stayed for the end credits of the movie but in the end credits of the film where you have some that you see some of the camera tests as as uh, the end credits uh, play yeah when he entered the room and sort of makes his entrance we had the lightning flash right we had that going and he came in the door everyone's like oh it's a different it's a different movie now and him coming in and doing that and he really just seems to fully embrace it even when we were doing the camera test he was just running through his lines because he had sort of completely put them to memory. He was completely off book just for the camera test, which was incredibly impressive. Um, so anyway, it was really impressive. But the main thing I think he brings is this, this sense of menace. Now that's them talking about Nicolas Cage. Coming up next, this is a great interview. i truly glad that he gave this interview. Nicolas Cage talks about developing this character, Dracula, in everything that he borrowed from. And we're going to hear him talk about when he was five years old, watching a classic Dracula movie with his father. And then he just talks a little bit more about then using his father. And you know what? I'm just going to let him talk. This is, I just really like this interview. And then everything he grabs from to create this character, his honesty, his openness. I love it. From the very early age of four or five, my father would play black and white. We had a 35-millimeter projector on a screen he would put up in our living room, and he would play black and white silent films, and one of them was Nosferatu with Max Schreck. I mean, let me tell you something. When you see that movie when you're five in black and white with him doing those crazy things with his eyes and his fingers, that, that, le- that leaves an indelible impression. It doesn't go away. And so with this movie, I wanted to bring a little bit of my appreciation of the effect his performance had on me, that flavor, but also my father. My father, in his own right, was a was a strong presence and uh, a very elegant man who spoke with a mid-Atlantic accent and impossibly intelligent. He always knew he was the smartest man of any room he walked in. So I thought, well, he... Dad would be a pretty good model for this character. So I'm, I was playing with that and and then believe it or not I thought you know what let's let's open this up a little bit let's let's look at some of the great uh female performances that I think might be applicable to this version of Dracula and for some reason because of this toxic relationship that Renfield and Dracula have in this movie I was thinking about the relationship that Anne Bancroft's character had with Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate. And so she, her voice started coming into my mind, which I'm very happy about. So we have some direct um, 
borrowing from, yes, he does. Don't you think he looks like the kind of guy who has to find him off? Yes, he does. <laughs> Am I right? Just a great interview. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Nicholas Holt. Now, he plays Renfield, but you might say, I, I know who this guy is. Well, let me tell you. He was in the 2002 film About a Boy, Mad Max Fury Road. If you haven't seen that, run out now or just rent it by whatever you got to do. Fury Road. Amazing. And in the 2013 film, Warm Bodies. That's truly underappreciated or underrated movie, I think. It's has so much heart. So I mean, it's a guy who turns into a zombie, but then he slowly becomes back to human again. It, you know what? You got to check it out. That's Warm Bodies from 2013. You really, I, I truly think it'll be worth your time. He's also an X-Men, Days of Future Past, the incredible 2022 film, The Menu. You haven't seen The Menu. A, he does a great performance. I mean, what he does with that role is really awesome. So check that out, The Menu. And he's also in the TV show, The Great, in the 2021 film, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Just to name a few. This guy is incredibly talented in just how he can just have different kind of roles all the time. So this is him talking about his current character. Renfield is someone who's known, um, yeah, as being kind of Dracula's familiar. Um, uh, and in this story, we kind of pick up probably about um, around 100 years into their relationship. So Renfield's been working for him a long time. And to be honest with you, he's just exhausted um, with the prospect of continuing to do his uh, his dirty work. Um, so he's worn down, he's beaten down. Um, and kind of looking for an escape or some sort of spark to kind of return to his normal life and what he misses. Now, that was Nicholas Holt talking about his character. Up next, we're going to hear from Nicholas Cage. He's also going to talk about the character of Renfield, how he's been dealing with this toxic relationship and how he's in this self-help group to try to, you know, seek help and how to deal with the situation. But then he goes a little bit further and he talks about the acting of Nicholas Holt. Now, for me, can you imagine having somebody on the level of Nicolas Cage critiquing your acting or telling you, telling everybody what he likes about what you do and his, your performance, especially when he compares you to a, a, a legend of Hollywood? I must be like, oh my goodness, I'm doing something right. But I just love this interview, you know, talking about, you know, him as an actor and the character and how he just, you know, made it his own. Renfield... Um, is is a uh, a codependent, and he's using the lessons he learned from the uh, the circle, the group that he's in, and applying them against Dracula's uh, very aggressive uh, attack on Renfield verbally. It's kind of like a study in uh, a little bit of, of a toxic relationship that we see so often, um, and it. It's different, and I thought that was brave, and I thought that was f funny but also poignant. There was nuance to it that was kind of there's – there's a fine line here of tragic comedy. I think Nick Holt's approach is, is very um, uh, vulnerable, and I like that. It's in his eyes. Um, so it's a, it's a real – uh, careful tone that Chris McKay is hitting, you know. It's, it's a – Something of a balancing act. You know, the stage actor has his pressures, but the, the film star has the pressure of the close-up. And when they're in there, if there's something going on, they're going to see it. 
And if there's nothing going on, they're going to see it. Well, Nick is, Holt is always, there's something going on and he's bringing it. On top of that, and I, and I know this is a big thing to say, and I don't want to say this and sound like hyperbole, but last night, the way he kicked the slipper and he did the, the eye thing, I thought it was Chaplin-esque. So he's got this Chaplin-esque uh, comedic charm and this really vulnerable, soulful quality in his eyes. And it's, you know, it's, it's very effective on camera, you know, and I, 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 I love the way he looks as this version of Renfield. Now, coming up next, we have a clip for you. Now, in this clip, Renfield is at his group. They're all sitting in a circle and he's talking to the therapist, trying to, you know, say, how can I do this better? And the other guy's going, yeah, well, what can you do? And it's just, it's just a fun banter back and forth. Renfield, this is codependency 101. A narcissist will take full advantage of a codependent's low self-esteem, but you're the one with the real power. And all you got to do is take it back. How do I do that? Focus on your needs. I mean, I just haven't thought about any of my needs in years. But if you were to stop focusing on his needs, what would happen? If I don't... Yeah, what would what? happen? Stop focusing on his knees. What would happen? He won't grow to full power. Exactly. He won't grow to full power. What? That's so weird. Why would you phrase it like that? But yes, he's right. Now, in that scene, the last voice you heard, his counselor, is Brandon Scott Jones. And this guy's been in a lot of good stuff, too. The 2019 film, Isn't It Romantic? The TV show, The Good Place. 2018's Can You Ever Forgive Me? The TV show, The Other Two. And a show that I really, really like, and if you haven't seen this one, I strongly suggest you see it, because it strikes a perfect tone of comedy and just fun, and it's not over the top or anything like that. The show is called Ghosts. It's on CBS right now. It probably streams on Paramount+. Plus. You really need to check that out. It's, it's light, but it's fun. It's engaging. So give that a shot, and we're going to hear from him next. You're going to hear him from the red carpet, so there's a little bit of noise in the background. But he just talks about just being part of this film and how much you know he enjoys it. And then he also talks about working with, of course, Nicolas Cage. It was fun to get to play a really grounded character in a big, scary movie, in a big, like, wild universe that has no idea that that side of the world exists. He's like a legend playing a legend. And I think that's like a perfect, a perfect harmony when you get those two things. I mean, he's so cool, so fun to watch. I mean, I've seen the movie and I know that there's a thousand great things that he did I'm sure that that are on the editing room floor for no other reason than just how can you get it all in there because he is everything is great now coming up next we're here from Nicholas Holt and he also talks about working with Nicholas Cage you need someone for this role who's really gonna invest time and and commitment and and really go for it and that's something that Nick really does but he does it in such a wonderful way where in scenes with him, it's just incredibly fun to watch where he's taking interpretation from as well, whether it's Nosferatu and, and kind of the, the, the physical interpretation of Dracula, particularly at the different stages of his healing and power, um, and the vocal work, and, um, you know, Anne Bancroft in The, in the Graduate is one of the things that he's looking at at times, and, and it, it really is wonderful to see Dracula being formidable and, and um uh, horrendous, but also kind of quite manipulative, and that's what this story really goes back to: is this 
you know, this toxic relationship between the two of them. And, um, you know, they, they've been together for so long and they, they, they really do know how to push each other's buttons and, and work against each other. And, um, yeah, Nick has been so committed and, and really turned up ready to play. And, and um, it's just wonderful to watch all the, all the nuances and, and the things that he's bring to the character. You just heard Nicholas Holt talking about Nicholas Cage. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Nicholas Cage expanding a little bit more on finding the character, the voice, using his father as a launching off point. Well, the words, I am Dracula, I wanted to channel a little of the Transylvanian voice, but by and large, uh, my favorite Dracula is Christopher Lee, who has a British sound. My father was the biggest influence for Dracula, who had a mid-Atlantic sound. What I didn't want to do was have a goofy Transylvanian sound in the role, so I thought my father, whom I channeled in a little movie I made called Vampire's Kiss, was a great starting point for the way this Dracula speaks. You know, let me explain something to you, okay? Now you might be asking yourself, why didn't you play that interview earlier on in the show when he's talking about the voice and all that kind of jazz? Well, reason why, because in the next clip we play, he actually says, I am Count Dracula. So I felt, eh, it's, it kind of says the same thing he kind of said before, but he, he, he honed it a little bit more. And then in this next clip, he actually says those words. So I thought, eh, why not use it as a launching pad into this clip? And in this clip, we have Count Dracula. He grabs this bad guy by the throat, and the bad guy that he grabs is Ben Schwartz. He plays the gangster in this movie. He just grabs him. Schwartz says, this guy you know, messed up my plan. And of course he looks at it. It's Renfield. It goes from there. Check it out. I am Count Dracula. You win. Who are you? You were sent by the church. Church? No, I'm a criminal. My whole organization is about evil. Evil. Why are you here? I'm here because I want to find this guy. I'm trying to find this guy. He stuck his nose in our family business and killed some of our guys trying to save a bunch of innocent people. What is he, your roommate? He's my servant. He doesn't seem to be serving you very well. Now, in that scene, you heard Count Dracula pretty much manhandling Ben Schwartz's character. Now, Ben Schwartz, this guy also has a long list of stuff he's been in. From Parks and Recreation, Sonic the Hedgehog, The After Party, Die Hard. He's done so much voice work, too. From Star Wars, The Bad Batch, Central Park, DC League of Super Pets, Fairfax. Again, this guy is incredibly talented, and he's just done so much work. But coming up next, we're going to hear from him. He's going to talk a little bit more about his character, because if you really think about it, him playing this kind of character is really out of character, per se. I mean, usually somebody like him, you wouldn't think to be in the gangster role, but how they play it off is pretty cool. And then he also talks about working with Nicolas Cage. I am a gentleman who is doing a bunch of coke and killing a bunch of people immediately. There is no, there is no prologue to this character. It is straight off to the freaking like nonsense races. Uh, so to that end, it was 
Very exciting. I've always wanted to do that. I love watching Batman and watching Batman for like Joker and stuff like that. So the idea that I can play someone that's a little unhinged and, and, and bad and uh, even his intentions when he's trying to be good at something as good at killing or good at doing drugs uh, was a blast. It was so fun. And to play it on this scale is such a fun thing. He's a movie star. He To watch, to play with him, to do stunts with him, to feel protected that I won't get hurt while we're swinging full force at each other and covered in blood and delivering like this outrageous fun dialogue. It's been a blast. It's like playing with, you know, playing tennis with someone who's just insanely skilled and to watch him do a little bit of everything. Um, and he's, you know, when you're number one on the call sheet, you're there every freaking day. He's there every day working his butt off and still is super. One of the things I respect the most is watching someone who's number one on the call sheet work their butts off, but also be so nice to the crew and so nice to everybody and caring about their scene partners and everybody around and taking care of anybody he can. So he is just someone, if you're an actor or just a human being, someone to look up to the way he handles himself on a set. And he's just crushing it. We're going to hear next from both Nicholas Holt and Nicolas Cage. They're both sitting side by side for this interview. First, Holt will talk about the relationship between Renfield and Dracula and how it's really very complicated. And then you can hear from Nicolas Cage in the tone they had to try to strike. And the movie he references is by far one of the greatest like werewolf movies ever made in our modern era anyway. Obviously you go back to, to the novel a lot to figure out how Renfield began as a character and as a person and then the, the 31 film is brilliant because Dwight Fry's performance is so so iconic. So stealing things from that when I can, I, I love his laugh obviously and that's such a, a piece of the character so trying to pepper that in. Um, but then this is also a hundred years later so I mean that's very kind of you to say that they feel like bookends because it's then thinking you know how, how have these characters developed over that time, and that's what I love with what Nick did to it. You know, he brings a lot of these these two characters. Uh, you know, they're together, and they but they love each other, and they also are tormenting each other. And there's so much hurt even in Dracula um, for what Renfield does to him, trying to escape him. So there's there's a lot to unpack emotionally, I think, between them. Uh, well, I, I I think it was m more just really trying to find the tone. I'm, I'm trying to find this uh, bullseye between comedy and horror, which I don't think has been explored that much. I was often thinking about American Werewolf in London, and that's a bullseye Chris McKay and I really wanted to hit. So I, I was always trying to be conscious of the tone of this particular piece. It's an R-rated fantasy, but it's hilarious. And, and that's a balance that you have to find. And thankfully, Nick is someone who has tremendous wit and comic timing. So we were able to riff off of each other. I was always thinking about that. Now, if you are unfamiliar with An American Werewolf in London, you have to check that out. It is without doubt one of the greatest movies of that kind ever made. Especially when he talks about tone there in that interview. Combining horror with comedy. It is so well done. And it's written and directed by John Landis. The practical effects that they use in this movie, or American Werewolf in London, are stupendous. And the story is wonderful. Do yourself a favor. If you've never seen it, you have to see it. It's from 1981. That's An American Werewolf in London. Truly an awesome film. Now, coming up next, we're going to play a clip. Now, in this clip, they're at the counseling session. Renfield is there with his group. And also... Dracula's there. He got welcomed in and he's there to introduce himself. He's giving this long speech and somebody in the audience or in part of the group goes, Renfield's boss. 
And of course, Dracula was just roar. He elevates in the air. And it's just a fun, fun scene. Would you like to introduce yourself to the group? I'm the Prince of Valencia. Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. <laughs> However, to most, I am known simply as... Redfield's boss! Dracula. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. <laughs> you think? <laughs> it just, I just like love how he delivers that line. But now coming up next, we're going to hear from the producer, Brian First. And he talks about the connection between the two Nicks. I don't know if I could, I, is, that, is that proper? The two Nicks? Because in this kind of movie, you need that connection. You, you need that chemistry or else it's just not going to work. So he talks a little bit about that. And immediately after that, we're going to play another featurette like we did earlier. So in this featurette, we're going to have clips, interviews, and on-the-set footage. And it just kind of talks about each one of these great actors and what they bring to the role. You're going to hear one Nick talk about the other Nick, and the Nick talk about that Nick. But it's just it's just a little mini commercial like the other featurettes that we had earlier. Here it is. The chemistry between Nick Holt and Nick Cage uh, really kind of comes off the screen. I think, you know, this is such a unique version of the Dracula story and it really hinges on finding a humanity in both Dracula and Renfield. And what's so great is that they were not afraid, each Nick Cage and Nick Holt were not afraid to to be vulnerable, to be emotional, uh, to be a little unhinged. Um, and that, I think, is what makes this movie so special. He's an iconic actor. He's doing such wonderful work through his lifetime. And I was so excited when he was cast. Seven. You need someone for this role who's really going to invest time and commitment and really go for it. Let's eat. There's a fine line here of tragic comedy. I think Nick Holt's approach is vulnerable, and I like that. <laughs> Big. Yes. I worked with him on Weatherman. He played my son. He has this handsome physique and face and very soulful eyes. Always there's something going on and he's bringing it. I don't think I was eager. I think that you caught me at a low moment and you maybe manipulated me. No, 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 no. So he's got this chaplain-esque comedic charm and this really vulnerable, soulful quality. It's very effective on camera. It's been truly one of the highlights of my career watching Nick Cage play Dracula. <laughs> Faster. You okay? Now, as you could tell, this movie takes you on a wild ride. And it is taking stuff from classic movies, but still making it their own. And up next, we're going to hear some people talk about that. First, we're going to hear from the producer, David Alpert, and then the incredibly talented Aquafina. Look at her career. 
I mean, I could, I, I could go on and on, really. I mean, what she's done in these last several years is amazing. From Breaking News in Yuba County, Rhea in The Last Dragon, The Legend of the Ten Rings, The Bad Guys, she'll be in the 2023 The Little Mermaid, and of course, the 2018 Crazy Rich Asians. And that's just to name a few. But, you know, she's in this, and it's just it's a bang-up job. And then we'll hear from Brandon Scott Jones. It's just really fun hearing what all these people have to say about finding the tone and just finding the the mojo behind this movie. We've watched a ton of these movies. We understand sort of the the lore and mythology and want to be respectful of it. But we were able to want to say, how do we put our own unique spin on it? How can we come up with something that feels true and part of this genre, but all at the same time is something completely unique and original at the same time? So it's a little bit of push-pull between those two ideas, but I think we really were able to accomplish something, something special by saying, hey, look, we're in the Dracula mythology, we're true to everything that you would expect from a Dracula movie, but we're getting at something unique with the story of Renfield. I hope that they take away that, um, you know, th- this kind of like new modern day take on these characters, but also about what it what it means to be in a toxic relationship um, and, and also uh, what it means to to maybe get 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 a second chance, you know, um, the redeemability of these characters are going going to ultimately be based on what the audience thinks about them. So, you know, how much they deserve a second chance. I hope the audience feels like they do. What I hope that they can take away from it is the recognizing, like, oh wait, this is a movie that is really fun. It's funny. It's silly, gory, like limbs, blood everywhere. But at the same time, has something to say about relationships in today's modern world. And like I said earlier in the show, Nicolas Cage is fearless. He'll tackle any kind of role. In this next interview, he kind of touches on that a little bit. Talks about what his roots are, where, what inspired him when he was growing up, what wanted, what made him want to be an actor. But yet, knowing that, he still has appreciation for all these other kind of films too. And he's able to combine them and then take on whatever he wants. So you get kind of like a little behind the scenes in the mind of Nicolas Cage with this next one. You know, my, my roots are independent drama. I, my, that's what made me want to be an actor was the movies at Aaliyah Kazan, you know, Dean and Brando. But, but I also, thankfully, have an open mind and enjoy the realm of science fiction. I enjoy the realm of horror. And, and I like anything that stimulates my imagination. You know, the word magic is literally in imagination to, to, to imagine these things. And I think films like the Dracula movies, the vampire movies are, are wonderful to stimulate my imagination. And so I always have been a fan. Just a little glimpse inside the mind of Nicolas Cage. Can you imagine sitting down talking to him? Can you imagine just the amazing conversation, the stories, the insight, just get in his head and just hear his stories. Wouldn't that just be incredible? I mean, I feel like, whoa. Because he, and he wouldn't be bored, like, don't think talking to people just like us. Because whatever he does, he commits to. So I think even some schmuck like me or any of us, if we're going to talk to him, he'd be like, okay, boom, I'm here with you. Let's do this. You know, at least that's what the impression I get. I could be way off base here, but everything we've ever seen him in, he has that kind of attitude of like, hey, we're all in this together. Again, I might just be way off base, but either way, imagine talking to that guy, the stories he could tell. But now up next, we're going to hear from the producer, David Alpert. And he's going to be talking about the director, 
Chris McKay. You might wonder, what has Chris McKay done? Well, he did the 2021 film, The Tomorrow War. He also did the Lego movie in 2014 and the Lego Batman movie. So this guy has some chops. He knows what he's doing. So first you hear from the producer, and then we're going to hear from the director himself. Chris McKay is uh, an absolute detail-oriented guy. So he wants to understand everything down. He wants to understand everything all the way down to the smallest element up to the big. He wants to know how everything impacts everything else, whether it's, we're talking about the script, whether it's a schedule, whether it's shooting or lighting or hair. He really does contain the entire vision for the film inside his head. And it's, it's, really, it's really been a unique and interesting experience to, to see that manifest itself on screen. I mean, splatstick humor has kind of been around for a long time. Uh, and movies like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2 kind of perfected, you know, splatstick humor. So I think that it, I think that there's like a natural connection between yeah. humor and horror. And I think even the way, just from a structural standpoint, the way you develop a scare and the way you develop a joke, oftentimes are the very same kinds of, of things. Or just you sort of one is one is you, you one is something that's shocking. One makes you laugh. But uh, but I, but yeah, I mean, splastic horror has always been something that for me is. Uh, uh, I just didn't, you know, some of some of my favorite movies have you know Shaun of the Dead and things like that. You know. Well, I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at Renfield. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, feel free to let me know. CinemaJudge at Hotmail.com Or I'm on Instagram, The Cinema Judge. I'm on YouTube. Almost most platforms from Apple, Spotify, on and on. Wherever you are in the world, you can find the show Cinema Judge on some pod on some podcast platform. And I've even met some of you in the Horizon Worlds universe. If you're into that meta stuff at all, just look me up, Cinema Judge, one word. I'm usually there late at nights. Feel free to chat. I'd love to talk movies with you. There's so many stuff out there. Just check out the Horizon Worlds. I'm out there somewhere. But now, for all you regulars who sit around and listen to this show, this is my favorite part. This is where I thank you, especially all my regulars, you guys who show up every episode, whether it's a blockbuster, independent film, whatever it is, you make my world. Just when I see you during, during, during the week, somebody listened, somebody listened, somebody listened. I truly am grateful. Don't think for a second that I don't truly, my mind gets blown that you guys continue to keep listening. But if you don't know what we do here, if you're new to the show and you made it this far, Anytime you listen to the show, if you listen to the latest show, that is, I thank you on the next show. So you might say, well, hey, man, I listened to an episode from this long ago. Well, it's I just do the shout outs for the last episode because it'd be way too complicated if I did it for all the shows that people listen to throughout the week. So I love hearing about it, about maybe you're at work, driving to work, sitting at home, you know, just brushing your teeth, listening to the show. Whatever you do, it just makes my day. And you might even listen to it many months down the line. And I really, really appreciate that. So wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. All my listeners from the United States, Poland, you guys, rock it. I really appreciate that, Poland. Also from Canada, United Kingdom, and Bosnia. You guys, tune in. I really, really appreciate it very, very much. 
Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Sacramento, California, Chicago, Illinois, Madison, Wisconsin, Annandale, Virginia, Littleton, Colorado, Mooresville, Pennsylvania, Valencia, California, South Hadley, Mass., Mansfield, Ohio, Forest Lake, Minnesota, Grand Prairie, Alberta, Glen Ross, Fife, is that? Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. And this one, oh boy, there's not a shot I'll get this one right. It's O-S-I-E-L-S-K-O. To every one of you out there, I truly, truly thank you. And this week's bourbon shout-out goes out to Kayla. I really enjoy talking movies. Cheers. Now, most of you know, when I'm making the TV version of this, that eventually becomes this podcast, I'm cranking out tunes. That's just my happy place. Movies, music. Music, movies. Is my sweet spot, and that's what I do. So when I'm doing the TV version, I don't have to worry about me talking. I don't have to worry about anything, because it's just me editing. And this week, I go, well... I talked to my musical muse at work because, you know, sometimes I, I just get in my same rut and I need something different. And she always knows ballpark, the newer stuff, or maybe not newer stuff, but stuff I don't always listen to, but I might appreciate. So this week, she, she suggested Luscious Jackson, and the album was Fever In, Fever Out. Again, I've never listened to them before, and I really enjoyed it. It was such a unique sound and so much going on. It was like, Wow, well, uh, so that's what I threw down. And then I also threw down a little Five for Fighting. I haven't listened to them in a long time. And that, oh, just there's some great tunes from Five for Fighting. If you've never listened to them, give them a shot. Before I forget, if you want to watch a TV version of this or several other shows that I've done, you can watch them anytime you want on demand. Either go to Bloomington, Minnesota's public access channel or if you go to bit.ly backward slash cinema judge. You go there, this and several other TV versions of these podcasts are there and you can watch whenever you want. Now, before my voice gets gives out on me again, I wanted to tell you about a show, a limited series I watched recently on Netflix. It's a Norwegian film, or a limited series, I should say, called War Sailor. It is incredibly powerful. It takes place in World War II era and all the stuff happens to this family and all, all over the place there. It's just, I don't want to give too much away, but man, it's emotional. It's powerful. And, you know, there's some parts where it's downright depressing, but in a good way, I just, because it just, whatever it does, it just pulls you in. And it's just like, oh my, just gut wrenching. But I mean, it's, it's not a happy go lucky slappy go movie or limited series by any means, but man, is it powerful and good. That's War Sailor. It's on Netflix. It's a limited series. Is from Norway. It's really good. Again, not for everybody, but worth a shot. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. <laughs>